out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Hello, welcome to Curious Objects. I'm Ben Miller. And with me is Michael Diaz-Griffith. And today, on the eve of Game 6 of the World Series, we're going to discuss baseball cards. But it's kind of funny how we got around to this subject, um, because it actually all started with a YouTube video that I'm guessing a lot of listeners probably have seen back in the day. Um, Michael, when, was, when did you first see the Honey Badger video? You know, it's possible that I saw it right when it came out, when I was a high school teacher and constantly being shown memes and YouTube videos by my students. I, th I think 2011, perhaps? Yeah, that goes way back to the early days of viral videos. And it's it's been watched, I think, 90 million times. So, uh, yeah, anyone who hasn't seen it already should probably stop listening to this podcast right now and go google honey badger video um <laughs> be prepared it has absolutely nothing to do with antique material culture object curious or otherwise or even baseball but it's still relevant because right because randall the the famous producer of the video just so happens to be a serious collector of baseball cards. And when I found that out, I thought, how much fun would it be to talk about baseball cards? You know, the quintessential American object of collecting. Yeah, and, you know, I think that even though this is kind of a new topic for us, it makes a lot of sense because baseball cards, stamps, other collectibles that we don't talk about a lot are actually most people's entree into collecting, right? I mean, I collected baseball cards. That's actually really surprises me. I never did. Wow. I mean, I I was growing up in the South, and it's just kind of what boys had to do in the rural culture that I grew up in. But I sure. enjoyed it, you know? It was, it was fun to kind of learn about my father's favorite players. It was an access point to history. I think that's what I liked about it. But I, you know, one thing that was sort of interesting to me, um, thinking about doing the, uh, a conversation with Randall, is that, you know, it just struck me that um, it's uh, uh, there are not very many people out there in the world who don't have some kind of relationship with some kind of curious object. And almost everyone is in some way a collector of something which means that really we could have almost anyone in the world on as a guest of this podcast, I think, and, and find something relevant to talk about. Yeah, no. And I think that, you know, a baseball card collector may see himself as a collector, but we wouldn't necessarily assume that like the mechanisms of collecting are the same from one discipline to another when they kind of are. I mean, there are a lot of similarities when you talk to someone like Randall and someone who collects perhaps high-end furniture or silver in terms of the way they think about objects. And I love, I love to, 
to sort of, I mean, I'm just realizing that what you're describing is this widespread respect for and interest in objects that, yeah, is more widespread than perhaps we even think about in our day-to-day practice then. Yeah. Well, and one of the the funny things about baseball cards, I mean, they're not uh, necessarily antiques. I mean, some of them are are quite old, um, but some of them are quite new. Even some some new baseball cards are pretty valuable. But um, they do follow some of the same rules, as you say, of of collecting in terms of uh, you know rarity, um, condition. Uh, you know, uh, authenticity is certainly a big, a big issue. And yeah, to me, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, I, you know, one thing that is always compelling to me about antiques, maybe the most compelling thing to me about antiques is the story that they tell about the world around them. Um, and, you know, I'm really interested to get into this with baseball cards and find out uh, what, what they can tell us about, um, the, the history they represent, you know, both on the side of sports and athletics, but also um, just, uh, you know, American history. Absolutely. You know, and I think you're describing some of the uh, finer points of connoisseurship, right, which baseball card collectors certainly do uh, follow. And at the same time, I know from my own experience that they're looking for cards that align with their passions, you know? So, like, they love Nolan Bryant's season in 19-whatever, and they want the card that kind of brings that magical moment in the player's career physically into their orbit, you know? So they're thinking about authenticity and condition, but balancing that with their, you know, the classic collector's thirst for the object that, that they want for a more personal or perhaps slightly less um, rational reason. And it will be interesting to hear about Randall's view on that balance between, you know, connoisseurship and all of the sort of uh, objective standards that we bring to bear on collecting and pure passion, because I know from experience that baseball card collectors have a lot of that. Well, and I have to say, based on the Honey Badger video, I think it's going to be fascinating to hear Randall talk about just about anything under the sun. So I, I'm pretty excited about that. And and hopefully we won't have to bleep out too many curse words. <laughs> time, time will tell. Well, to add to the character of the podcast. All right, Michael. Well, thanks. And uh, let's let's get right to Randall. Have a great chat, Ben. Curious Objects is sponsored by Freeman's. Since 1805, Freeman's has been part of the fabric of Philadelphia, helping generations of clients in the buying and selling of fine and decorative arts, jewelry, modern design, and more. Today, they are a dynamic international auction house with a year-round sales season and a team of dedicated specialists committed to personalized service. Freeman's is excited to announce the upcoming single-owner auction, A Grand Old Flag, the Stars and Stripes collection of Peter J. Keim. Learn more about this collection of historic American flags and the upcoming auction at freemansauction.com. Freeman's, Philadelphia's auction house, sharing the world of art, design, and jewelry with you, wherever you are. Hi. Hello there. I'm so happy to be talking to you. And I am so thrilled to be speaking with you, Ben. Thank you so much. I love all objects that are curious in nature. (laughs) Well, you've come to the right podcast then. I I think there's a lot that we could talk about. Um, but, uh, but there's something that I was really interested in asking you about, because I heard that, um, 
there's something that you collect um that a kind of object that you collect that really is kind of like the quintessential object to collect yes i happen to adore and love collecting baseball cards pure americana i just love it it's as american as baseball and apple pie right Absolutely. And if I had my druthers, I would be collecting different apple pies from around the country, but I just can't. <laughs> you know, I tried, but every time I get one, I just, I eat it. Oh, that's a problem. Yeah, I, I think I, I've experienced a similar problem. <laughs> well, so let's talk about baseball cards. What, um, how do you even collect baseball cards? Like, how, how do you get them? Okay, so there was, there is rather such a, uh, difference between how one accumulates baseball cards and collects baseball cards today comparatively to how we used to back in the day. Now, when I started out collecting cards in the late 70s, <clears throat> or perhaps, uh, oh, much later than that. I'm not that yeah. old. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Anyways, um, they you were able to get them from other friends. You were able to trade you were able to go to stores. They had actual baseball co- uh, baseball card shops that you can go to, and you can get comic books and baseball cards. Uh, also, you could just go right up the street to the newsstand and get some baseball packs. Nowadays, it's online. Everything is practically either online, or if you're lucky enough to have a local baseball card sh- um, show in your in your neighborhood or in your city or town, you can attend that. But for the most part, you're doing all of your shopping online. So that's a, a good bulk of how I get my cards these days is by uh, going online, using the internet. So let's go back in time a little because y- you started collecting cards when you were a kid, right? Yes, I did. So when you were a kid, how did you get your hands on these things? And, and, and what made you interested? Like, what, what was it that got you excited about them? Uh, you know, I was always a baseball fan. And um, growing up, I had a lot of time to myself being an only child. And uh, both my mom and papa were out doing whatevers. And so for me, I, I guess I just always felt this need to collect. And while to this day I still collect pets... Uh, thank you very much. I have some parakeets mm-hmm. and hamsters and guinea pigs. I have a rabbit and cats. But, you know, you can't just keep collecting pets or wildlife or things like this. So with baseball cards, what's really fabulous about it, and I've always admired, are the uh, the designs with which these companies use, uh, the photos, the photography that these companies use to take photos of, of these mag- majestic baseball players and um, the collectability factor, the rarity of some of these cards, the uh, going back and forth and arguing over the condition of one uh, of a card. It got me so fat. I was just so interested and fascinated by them. Um, and I just, again, I just happened to love baseball. So one thing just sort of led to another. And mind you, Ben, I only collect baseball cards. You know, there are some other collectors out there who do football and basketball. Mm. And they have, you know, basically cards for all sorts of different... uh, They have cards for all sorts of different sports and non-sports. But for me, it's just baseball. Because you really don't like basketball or hockey or football. I mean, you know, they're exciting to watch. But for me, it's, you know, baseball is... uh, the number one sport, just because it's timeless, there's no pressure, 
you, you take your time. It could go, it could be a two-hour game. It could be a five-hour game. Who knows? And I just love the the mystery of it all. And what got me really interested in collecting was. I was at school as a as a little one, and I'd see all my friends playing around with cards, and I said, hey, I want to try some of this. So for me, it was a way of getting in so, uh, socially, just, uh, you know, to start out to be able to schmooze with some pals and get to talking over Yeah, I think cards. a lot of collectors can identify with that. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't matter what you collect. It's always fun to be social and to create groups and get online or even in person and discuss things. Okay, so take us even farther back in time, because, you know, normally on this podcast, uh, what I'm talking about is pretty darn old stuff, you know, uh, 100 plus year old objects, um, you know, proper antiques. Baseball cards, though, I mean, some of them are pretty old, right? When when did baseball start? When did they actually start making baseball cards? Well, you know, they do actually get fairly old. Uh, some of the earliest baseball cards you can find in the late 19th century. Around the 1890s, you would find a lot of baseball cards that were published and printed and distributed, actually, oddly enough, in tobacco, packs of tobacco cigarettes. And recently, I'll have you know that the Honus Wagner um, T206 card went on auction and fetched an astounding $1.35 million. So there are cards. Those are U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars, yes. million American dollars. Yes. For a card. For a, for little, a baseball for card. A, a little card. You betcha. Wow. Why? <laughs> what? And, and who's this guy, Honus Wagner? So, Honus Wagner was a shortstop for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And um, he was very, very much against smoking, very anti-tobacco. So when he found out, yeah. yeah, so when he found out that they were printing cards of him and using his uh, likeness and putting it into cards, he said, I don't want that for the kids. In other words, the only way to get these cards when you were a kid is that hopefully, you know, you weren't smoking, but an adult would give you the card. They would open up the pack of cigarettes okay. and say, hey, here's a card for you, kid. So smoking was fun for parents and children. <laughs> I mean, hasn't that always been the case? Yeah. <laughs> As you can see right now, they're having so much fun with these vapes. Oh, it's so exciting. Oh, yeah. But you know, it's, fun. <laughs> it's funny because then other companies later on would catch on. You would ha- you would find baseball cards in Wonder Bread, in Kellogg's Cereal. Um, okay. Hostess Cupcakes on the back of boxes. You could just cut out the cards. So eventually... Other companies got privy to what Honus Wagner wanted, and that was easier access for children to be able to get baseball ca- uh, baseball cards. So um, that's what makes that card over a million dollars is the fact that he couldn't stand smoking. And so, therefore, not many were printed. That's the other thing. Not many were printed. Right. So they're very rare. Yes. So are, are these the most expensive baseball cards that exist, these Honus Wagner cards? They are indeed. They are. Uh, and then I would gather right behind it is the Mickey Mantle rookie card, which sometimes can fetch uh, if it's in pristine condition, meaning the corners are so sharp you can you could kill someone with it. 
Uh, <laughs> not that you would. Not that, but why would you want? Of course, of course not. But it is the perfect murder weapon. But anyways, Ben, I digress. <laughs> it is about, I'd say, they can run up to about half a million. But what's really interesting to me is like these days, you know, you have players, contemporaries like Mike Trout, who's one of uh, baseball's greatest players today, uh, who first came into playing baseball in the year 2011. He His cards, he presently has over 11,000 cards that one could collect, amounting to, if they're all in great condition, three quarters of a million dollars. Wow. So it's funny because there was a big lull for a while in the industry and in the hobby and in the world of collecting baseball cards. In the 80s, they just mass produced them. And then what got really interesting and what was really fun was later on, uh, the printings got started getting a little more limited and now more special. Now there's only just Tops and Panini Donruss cards, whereas back in the day there was Tops, Fleer, Donruss, then they had offshoots like Sport Flicks and all these other uh, sort of one-offs. And a lot of them did not seek the permission from Major League Baseball to show the team uniform. or So it's really funny because back in the day, sometimes you would see a card and they had the colors of the uniform, but they airbrushed everything out. It's really interesting <laughs> right. stuff. For copyright yeah. reasons or, or trademark reasons. Exactly. Back when they cared okay, so about there's IP a... and trademark. Yeah, right. So there's there's a lot of ins and outs to this um to this business and this this process of collecting. But so tell me about your collection. So how how many baseball cards do you own? Oh, sweet sweet Joseph. Let me tell you something. I must have <laughs> I must have I'd say 50,000 cards. I'm just taking a guess. Oh my god. It's got to be at least 50,000 cuz I have a lot of sets and a lot of builds and it's just I'm telling you, when I was a child and I started collecting them, it just really caught on and it snowballed. And for me, during, especially during such crazy times as we're experiencing politically today, I think it's important to have a hobby or something that one collects to take their mind off things. I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes I'll have such a stressful day, but to just sort of unwind and to organize my cards and to get them into place, um, it, to me, they're just like, it's like, Having a little Monet's or little Warhols, you know, or having 16th century uh, silvers, uh, silver utensils. I mean, for me, there really is no difference in that I'm on the hunt for cards just as anyone else is on a hunt for anything that they may collect. Um, you know, someone. Okay, but I don't know too many collectors of, of 16th century English um, silver who have 50,000 objects that's a big collection well that's and that's what makes it such a curious hobby and collection in itself is the fact that i can just go about my day and find a treasure actually it's very funny you say that because i just had a friend recently my friend roman he said he came over and he said do you know if you have i think it was the 1972 nolan ryan card and i said i don't know i think i used to but i do but I do. So he left, and hours later, I was looking through my car, and I found it. So to me, it's that's that's part of the fun. Is but sometimes I actually don't want to look at every single card. I just want to know mm. that I have it, and I know that I can so, turn around and I can make. If someone says, "Hey, do you have that Roberto Clemente, nineteen sixty nine tops 
Because if you do, I would love to make a trade with you. I can do that trade. It'll take me a bit to find <laughs> to find it, <laughs> but I'll do the, but I'll do the trade. You know, to me that's exciting. It's like, funny because yeah, for go ahead. I'm sorry. for a lot of collectors, like the the fun of collecting is finding that you know that diamond in the rough, that hidden thing that is out in the world somewhere. But but for you, maybe that hidden thing is already in your collection, and you just <laughs> you just don't know where to find it. It's happened to me so many times. It's happened to me so many times. And I just feel so, like, I just kept saying to myself, oh, wow, I really got to have this 1964 Sandy Koufax. I really like it because Sandy Koufax, who is, to me, one of the finest pitchers to ever play the game, he, it's such a great portrait of him. You know, a lot of these cards, the photography is great. And what's really amazing is back in the days from, say, the 40s, even before then, to the 50s, they hand-painted a lot of the mm. portraits and images of these baseball players. But I needed this 1964 Tops because I was like, oh my gosh, this is such an amazing... I already had one. But I went out of my way. I went to a show. I'm on a hunt for it. I get it. I come home. I'm so excited. And I kept thinking to myself, it looked like I... The back of the card was the ringer i was like it looks so familiar so i push aside my hamsters and i lifted up this one shoe box <laughs> and it was in there by golly but then what's great is wow. i have two so now i can trade one off and keep the other that's <laughs> it's really you that's see, really if something you, if you had fifty thousand fifteenth 15th century english uh spoon or utensil maybe maybe it would maybe you'd be in a great, great position because you could just sort of trade at will and sell yeah. at will. Yeah. Well, so I'm interested in it because um, you were telling me that you, um, I mean, you buy and sell cards and you trade cards. So, you know, for some collectors, it's all about, you know, once I get something, you know, I'm going to keep it forever. Right. But you're kind of cycling in and out. And, you know, you don't, didn't, didn't you used to have some cards that were super valuable and then you kind of traded them for other cards yes oh, what's is, the story behind that that is true oh goodness i had a 1933 gowdy babe ruth um gowdy babe ruth a, now there's a baseball player i've heard of there you go now it's this babe ruth i'm telling you now you know which came first the candy bar or the player the player of course but anyways let me tell you something babe ruth i have this card it's in beautiful shape and I got rid of it because I knew that I wanted to have some other cards. But also, it's like the stock market. You see, you can, you can invest in, or, or it's like fine art, where you can invest in one card, sit on it, and hopefully, and I don't mean in a, in a, in a bad way, like, hey, go sit on it. I mean, you, you invest, <laughs> you hold on to it. That's what I meant to say. You hold on to it. And then later... You know, you you double what you paid out for, and then you can go ahead and trade it. Now you're going to get another car that you really initially wanted, but you held on to this mm. so you can get it. I mean, it's really yeah. exciting. Um, but yes, I've had the pleasure of, you know, when I was a kid, I would go to all these baseball card shows in and around New York City. Uh, they were like monthly. I mean, um, really, they would have all these different hotels, the Roosevelt Hotel pennsylvania hotel where they would just open the doors and um in the ballroom they would just have all these players signing cards and have all these dealers um nowadays really i don't know what it's like in new york 
now that I'm out here in L.A., this, the scene is kind of, um, it's good. They, you know, they have a few shops, and it's not as, the shows aren't as frequent as they used to be, but they do exist. I mean, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it's, I don't know if you've noticed this in terms of uh, collecting and collecting things and items, but I'll tell you, really, with the invention of the internet, it's made people lazier. The hunt, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. isn't as valued as it used to be. It doesn't mean as much. That's what really worries me and I find interesting is someone who's now maybe, you know, who's a kid, 10 years old, teenager. When they start collecting, it's a com- it's completely different than when I collected or say when, when yeah, you collected right. too. It's different. Well, there are no secrets anymore, right? There are no. That's exactly it. That's right. And nowadays, what's interesting too in the world of baseball cards is everyone wants something authenticated. They, you know, there are some major companies, PSA, Beckett, BCCG, where you send your cards and your merchandise to them, and they say, "Oh yes, oh look at this coin. This, this is about an eight, and it's graded on a scale of one to ten. An eight would be about near mint. Um, ten being." A perfect gem but basically it's really interesting because if it's not graded you're not going to get as much money for it uh than if it were so that's another thing okay. which has completely changed um collecting in the hobby in itself but a lot of these cards are just they are really old you know pre-world war ii and you have a lot of i mean it's really funny to say that but like those are considered old cards now you know sure. cards from the 40s um well, that was 80 years ago now. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm interested in that because, as we said at the start, like, baseball is a pretty quintessentially American activity, and baseball cards are pretty quintessentially American. I mean, you have so many of these cards from a lot of different time periods. What's your oldest card? I'm curious about that. And and, and I'm also, I'm just curious, like, what, what kind of a story... Do, does your collection tell about America? Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, I have cards of, aside from Jackie Robinson, I have a few Jackie Robinson cards, I'm so pleased to say. But aside from Jackie Robinson, you know, he, aside from being the first African-American to play Major League Baseball, he was, there were others, obviously, that followed in his footsteps. You have Larry Doby, who was the second, and he, threw, he went through a lot of uh, turmoil as well. I have a lot of his cards. I have uh, Satchel Paige's rookie card, which is one of my prized, prized baseball cards. Uh, mm. I believe it's a 1953 Tops, and he was in the Negro Leagues, as you, as you may or may not know. Baseball was segregated. They had the Negro League, what they called the Negro Leagues, then they had Major League Baseball. And it wasn't until, uh, I believe, 1947, 49, when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Um, right. But so many of those cards, um, you know, they didn't even make. So that satchel page to me is very valuable because he made it to the major leagues at such an old age. And he was so many before him, uh, his contemporaries and his peers were drafted and picked up before him. But he came into the game anyway and he didn't care. I mean, he was a lot like a honey badger. He just came in and said, <laughs> it doesn't matter that I'm over 40 years old. Um, one of the things that he used to love to do was to tell people, sit down, I got this. 
and he and literally the fielders would all sit down and he would he would get the guy to strike out and i mean this guy was well seriously <laughs> yeah seriously this guy was uh way into his mid 40s early 40s when he came up that's one of my favorite cards that i have i also have a sandy koufax rookie because i just love him and adore him and i think that um i think what's so fascinating about him and his career was just how short short it was yet how dominant it was at the same time. Mm-hmm. Roberto Clemente's rookie card. Roberto Clemente, to me, uh, was just an astounding player, uh, just like a gazelle. He was like a gazelle running around in the outfield. Um, and to have his rookie card means a lot to me. So there, there are some things that I have in my collection that I know I won't part with. But then there are some older cards like that Babe Ruth I mean, I also had a Lou Gehrig, same time period, 33 Gaudi. And Gaudi, by the way, was a bubblegum company back in the 30s. Um, okay. And they, not a tobacco company. Not a tobacco company, exactly. So they were probably one of the first non-tobacco companies to put out baseball cards. And earliest card I have is probably a 1909 uh, doubleheader card. So what they what they decided to do was in these big tobacco packs, they would have a card that would fold in half so you can have two players on one card, which is really funny because you would flip up and then you would have the longer picture would be someone else, but then you put it down and then you have the other picture. They were sharing the same legs. (laughs) Why would they try to fool kids and people like this? Those aren't his legs. Those are his legs. I'd always say. But so one of my earliest is I have um, a Mercedes Brown um, 1909 uh, doubleheader card like that. But And what makes that so special was uh, Mercedes Brown had only three fingers on his pitching hand. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was a legend. He was able to come up with some crazy pitches with just those three fingers on his throwing hand. Were there pitches that only he could do? That's a great question. I don't know. You know, probably uh, simply because no one else figured to do it but 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 he, you know, because he didn't he didn't have any choice. You know, when you only have three fingers yeah. on your pitching hand, you have to come up with something. I guess necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's a mother of right. Yeah. <laughs> We'll take a quick break and be right back with more Randall. Curious Objects is sponsored by Freemans. Since 1805, Freemans has been part of the fabric of Philadelphia, helping generations of clients in the buying and selling of fine and decorative arts, jewelry, modern design, and more. Today, they are a dynamic international auction house with a year-round sale season and a team of dedicated specialists committed to personalized service. Freemans is now welcoming consignments for their January 13th design sale. Curious what your collection is worth? Receive a complimentary auction valuation by visiting freemansauction.com. Freemans, Philadelphia's auction house, sharing the world of art, design, and jewelry with you wherever you are. Before we get back to it, I always like to take just a minute to say a quick thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm especially grateful for those of you who leave a rating or uh, even a review on iTunes or whatever app you're using to listen right now, it makes a big difference and helps more people to find the podcast. 
There are, as always, pictures on the web at themagazineantiques.com slash podcast, so be sure to check that out. Okay, let's get back to Randall and his baseball cards. <laughs> okay, so wait, so you have a, a card going back to 1909. You have cards from the 40s. I imagine you have cards from probably just about every decade between then and now. So, so when you look through those cards, I mean, you said they started, they were, they used to be hand painted. Now they're, they're not hand painted anymore. Um, what else changed? I mean, what, what changed about the cards and what what does that tell you? Like, does that tell you stuff about, um, uh, about history from a a lens that people wouldn't normally see it? That's a great question. So yeah, you can learn a lot about America through these baseball cards in that you can see just looking at the player's eyes over time is is something I love to do. You know, you look at these guys from all the cards pre, I'd say 1955 or so. Everyone looks so tired and and weathered. Tired, really? Real yeah. And then as you get into the 60s, you start seeing players have some some players have longer hair. Now they have big beards. Now in the 70s, some of them are kind of chubby. And then when you get into... Like, I'm not kidding, Ben. It's really they, outrageous. They, they, just and then when you get all to the like, baseball players got ch- chubby in the 70s. <laughs> they really did. They got chubby in it the was, 70s. It was fashionable. Huh? <laughs> yes. I'm telling you, gluttony was really in in, the, in, those, sure. in those boring 70s. And then you start seeing as the players start making more money... They start taking better care of themselves. So now, and like up to, you know, from the, let's say the 90s to now, the players start getting in better shape. They start looking happier because they're making hundreds of millions of dollars every season. Um, that would make me happy. That would make me. Are you kidding me? I'll smile for any card uh, picture you take for, for a baseball yeah. card. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah, really you... funny because they rarely used to smile back in the day. And now on all these cards, they're either playing, you see them like, you know, hitting or fielding, or if it's a portrait, they're smiling. And you and they're actually doing new stuff with cards these days, right? Um, where it's not just a card anymore. That's right. They, what they started doing was they have special uh, inserts uh, in a pack you'll get uh, or, or in a box of... Uh, packs, you'll get uh, special things like a, ca- a random card sign, perhaps by your favorite player. You get what they call a relic card, which features either uh, a piece of a game-used bat or a game-worn jersey or pants. Um, they, You see, it's funny because I guess in the 80s, they thought the best way to entice people and uh, folks to collect were to was to just create a whole bunch of them and to just mass produce. And then as the years went on, and right now, what they figured was less is more and let's give incentive. Like, you're, they're only, we're only going to have five of these cards of this player featuring um, their, a piece of their jersey. You know, or we're, we're only going to have 20 signatures from this player. Yeah, so they're creating artificial scarcity. Yes, and uh, the artificial scarcity is really, it's, it's driving everything right now. 
I mean, a lot of these cards are going for thousands of dollars because not only is the I mean, the player always has to be great, right? That's the thing. Um, if they're not such a superstar, these cards wouldn't be worth as much. But to get a Mike Trout uh-huh. that's signed and there are only like 10 of them, uh, that card's going to be a lot of money. He, in fact, there are cards like that where he, um, I think it was a, a 2009 Bowman draft card where he signed a few. It's $8,000. Wow. For a 10-year-old card. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm really intrigued by this idea of, you know, including, I mean, a signature is is cool because it ties you in a physical way to that player. It means that it's not just a card that was, you know, somebody took a picture and they put it on a card and printed a bunch of them and now you have it. But now there's actually a connection. You know, the player touched that card and if you have it, you're tied to that player. But, and then this this new idea of of having you know bits of the jersey or or whatever it is you know physical artifacts that are associated with the player that's pretty cool i mean i think there's something really compelling psychologically about having an object that you know that that really has that that phenomenal logical connection i completely Um, agree i completely agree and that's it is. I like to say it's they're little pieces of history, um, mm. literally. I mean, just because like they'll also include um, uh, bits of seats from ballparks that no longer exist. Uh, to me, that's definitely a piece of history. Oh, and some other. I, I think it was top. Yes, tops put out cards um, commemorating World War II. And they, they too, randomly had uh, surviving soldiers sign some of the cards. So that's amazing. Really? Yeah, that's amazing to me. I, ha- I happen to have a Battle of the Bulge baseball card signed by three sur- surviving Battle of the Bulge soldiers. No kidding. No wow. kidding. So, I mean, that is a, it's a surefire way to get people involved with history, you know. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, what, that's what makes it exciting for me. I mean, Battle of the Bulge, you know, a lot of the war and stuff like that, I really can do without. But now that you have it in, in a baseball pack, now that there's a chance for me to get that, now that I can get this thing, I'm, you, I'm totally interested. And then I read up on yeah. it. I mean, I just think that's so interesting. And we were talking one time, and you had an amazing idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, should should we tell people about it? No, I just wanted to say that <laughs> you had <laughs> antique no, baseball I thought, cards. I, ben here says antique baseball cards, and I say to myself, "Oh my goodness, this is what an amazing! It's brilliant. You can learn so much." Yeah, I want someone to make those because I want to collect them. Exactly, and so do I. And then that'll be the thing, and then we can trade. I could say, hey, I can call you up and say, hey, I got that spoon that you've been looking for. You could say, oh, I got that, I got that, um, that weather vane. You know, I got that weather vane from the 17th century that you were looking for. Uh-huh. I'm telling it. Whenever you, whenever, I don't know. I just, I love that you can learn about the baseball player. You know, on the on the back, I'm getting their stats. I'm getting little quick clips about where they live, 
how old they right. are, what they did. And in addition to that, yeah, this, you know, that switch from the art, um, hand painted art into now photography, they're actually starting to bring back the hand painted and the art to baseball cards, which is really exciting. But what's really interesting is that they're only available online. You see, Tops mm-hmm. has a website where they've started, they've hired artists to go back to creating those cards, but they're only available online. And a lot of other card companies are starting to do that now, too, where they have exclusives that are only online. Um, so I don't know. I mean, the days of just sort of um, magic findings, unless you're at a swap meet, you know, unless you go to a swap meet or you visit someone's estate and they're giving them the... I mean, I've heard amazing stories from people who just find... You know, it's like antique uh, road show or antique... Uh, mm-hmm. But for, for baseball cards, same thing can happen where a lot of folks just don't know. I mean, you know, you've heard that story so many times, right? Where, oh, my father's brother's friend yeah. put it a spoke. His, his mother threw out all the cards and comics that you put uh-huh. the... They were doing target practice, and they threw the cards in the sky. I mean, no one takes good care. It's really funny because here you have something that's collectible, yet at the same time, it's also something that's taken for granted so many times. I mean, you wouldn't take a spoon and throw it around or do whatever with it. You wouldn't take a sure. fork or or iron cast. I mean, I, it's just really funny to me. But it's oh, look, here's a shaker. Look at this beautiful chair for the Quakers created it oh no don't what are you doing i'm putting on the street i'm gonna rock around (laughs) what are you talking about put my baseball cards down ben i'm telling you i can kill my mom she used to take my baseball cards and pick her teeth with them sometimes oh my god yeah isn't that gross what she she ran out of dental floss yeah no floss i'll just use this card (laughs) what is she thinking there is a um there's a tankard a silver an old uh silver tankard that has a bullet hole through it uh that was left by a musket ball during the revolutionary war so you know even even silver got abused sometimes you know if it's out there it's it's subject to anything that comes its way really okay so what are you looking for what's the next card that that you're striving to find i'm looking to find some of some more of today's contemporary rookie cards. You know, I've been watching and enjoying a lot of these games that they play in the postseason as the season has ended and now we're heading into the postseason. Um, so a lot of these players are really intriguing to me and I'm going to try and focus, I think, on getting some of the newer guys because it's affordable right now. And I know that these cards are definitely going to jump up uh, in value over time. So for me, I think that's the kind of thing I'm going to... You know, over the years, my collection has been focusing on sort of keeping... Like, I'll hoard it, I'll get a lot of them, and then I just sit on them. Which is why, like, yeah, sure, mm. 50000 I don't know what they all look like, or I may have forgotten where they are, but I know I have it. So for me, like, what I'll do is... I, I got very into um, collecting unopened things, meaning a box of baseball cards to have a, like 24 packs inside rather than open them up and rip through all the packs. I'll j- I'm keeping it sealed. I'm keeping it sealed. Really? Yeah. Cause then so three you, years so you from don't now, even know who's inside. I have no idea, but it's going to be exciting five years from now or 10 years from now to open it or to offer it to someone mm. 
and then I'll say, oh my, and that's what I've been doing. I found, I'm telling you, I have recently been trading a bunch of um, unopened boxes from the 80s from people who are going cuckoo, and they're trading me their older cards for it. Wow. Is this a, a, a King Tut's tomb thing? Is is there a curse on these boxes? Whoever opens them is going to die some horrible death? <laughs> no, but I like the idea no, of no. that. You know, Halloween's coming up, <laughs> and that's a good sp- spooky story. If you don't open up this, the ghost of... Babe Ruth's going to come running after you and eat all, and eat all <laughs> of your hot dogs. I think you just gave me a good Halloween costume idea. Oh, see? But I love your antique baseball card idea. They could do, you know, they could even do history baseball cards. They can even do civil rights baseball cards. They could, and they, they've done a lot of baseball cards for a lot of different things. Uh, I don't know if you know that they had Operation Desert Storm baseball cards. Wow. They, of course, have popular Star Wars baseball cards. Mm-hmm. They have them for movies and TV shows. But, um, yeah, I mean, they ought to do it for every subject and everything else that's out there. Well, if anyone who's listening right now owns a tobacco company, take note. We want you to make cards for everything, but especially antiques. Yes. And co- buying a pack is the only way that we'll ever be able to get them. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks so much for joining me. This was, uh, this is a lot of fun. I learned a lot about baseball cards. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I mean, I just, um, I love collecting. And collect, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. When I was little and I was collecting these cards, I, it was then I just started realizing the love of collecting and collections and i think that they really do mean something uh to our society so it was great speaking with you thank you for so much for having me on well thank you take care yes you too and hey stay nasty will you (laughs) i'll do what i can (laughs) okay let's cut it that's today's show once more, you can find images at themagazineantiques.com slash podcast, as well as on my Instagram at Objective Interest and Michael's at Michael Diaz Griffith. Our editor and producer is Sammy Delati. Our music is by Trap Rabbit. My co-host is Michael Diaz Griffith, and I'm Ben Miller. Catch you next time. Some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Well, it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game.
Climb me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball. 